Welcome Hills family and all of you that are a part of our online family. Here we are week 12 of online church. Can you believe it? And uh, over a week ago in a video, I mentioned that many are wondering about when our campuses might reopen. And my answer was never. And what I meant by that was as a church, we've never closed and God has done amazing things in this season as we have met online as a church and that's going to continue going forward as summer begins for our children are going to continue to get daily devotionals and weekend kids worship we're planning virtual camp for our kids this summer and soon they're going to get their summer in a box full of games and lessons and a t-shirt and then our student ministry is continuing to pour out some great content. They're starting tomorrow a program called Levels where our teenagers can engage in God's Word at the pace that best accommodates uh, their own desire. It's stellar and is going to be an outstanding ministry. Our, our women continue to do neat things. Uh, in fact, this Tuesday, there's a huge group that have signed up on the Hills Women's Facebook page for a class on how to uh, live in wilderness times in the power of the Spirit. And it's going to be taught by Barbara Gradkey and my wife, Jamie. And I'm a little biased, but Jamie is a good preacher. I know she's been preaching at me for years. Our equipped classes are still out there for you to engage. Classes on heaven, money, racial reconciliation, discipleship, parenting, God's character, handling anxiety. And then next Sunday, our Renew offering is taking place. We are partnering with 13 agencies, Christ-exalting ministries that serve people in need around the world. And every dollar we give next week goes away to serve people. And I'm counting on you to be above and beyond in your generosity as the church continues to be the church of Jesus Christ. In the survey that we sent you, we learned that 90% of you are in good health. That 80% of you have a stable job situation, and that's one reason why we can count on your generosity. 70% of you said right now your finances are in a good place. Now, here's what we know. Some of you are struggling financially, and I really want to ask you to let us know if we can help. Uh, we've raised some money to help with meeting mortgages, to fix cars, to buy prescriptions to send your kids to the doctor so please let us know if the church can serve you if you're in a time of financial need right now 97 percent of you in the survey said you're leaning on god and your faith is strong and that was so encouraging because we have been reminded in this season that while our buildings are a blessing our faith is not dependent on our buildings and we're going to continue to lean on the presence of god now, having said all that, we're giving a lot of thought about the best way we can reopen our campuses to live weekend worship. And I'll say again, we're not going to be driven by what any church down the road is doing, by what any official or government leader is saying. We're going to ask God to give us the wisdom to make the decision that is best for us as we love God and love our neighbor. And so it seems to me that we have a lot to pray about. Let's begin that way. And so, Father, would you please help us as a church as we live through this strange season, as we accommodate a different kind of way of being the church? Would you continue to give us energy? 
Would you continue to give us insight? And right now, especially your leaders, God, of this church, we need a lot of wisdom so that we can come up with the best possible spirit-directed plan for eventually reopening our campuses. Thank you for all you have done and are continuing to do through us. And help us to remember, God, there is no season where we cannot be the church that lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ. And in His name we pray. Amen. Well, one thing that I have been doing a lot during this pandemic is taking walks. I've been keeping my social distance, but they say it's safe for me to be outside and do that. And here's what I've noticed. Squirrels are everywhere. I have never seen so many squirrels. I think they are plotting a takeover. You know, we're worried about return of the planet of the apes. I think it's revenge of the squirrels. And it reminded me, a few years back, some squirrels made a nest in the attic right over my office. And they were constantly making noise. And it reminded me of the old story of the pastors having a lunch. They were all having the same problem of squirrels in the attic. But they had different solutions one was a Presbyterian pastor. He said, well, you know, we're Calvinists. We believe those squirrels are predestined to be in the attic, so we leave them alone. One pastor was a Quaker, and he said, well, you know, we're pacifists, so we humanely trapped the squirrels, and we let them loose outside. Two days later, they were back in the attic. But the best answer was probably the Baptist pastor who said, you know what? We trapped those squirrels. I baptized them. I made them members of my church, and now I only see them at Christmas and Easter. Okay, the joke kind of illustrates two truths, and that is that sometimes something missing is a problem. Sometimes something missing is actually a solution. Now think about this pandemic. There's so much it is created that we miss. I've mentioned I miss going out to eat. I miss a good plate of enchiladas. I miss live sports. Right now I would join a fantasy cornhole league if such a thing existed. I miss seeing my friends, and I so miss gathering together with all of you to hear us praise the Lord together. And I know many of you have missed some very important things. You've missed graduations. You've missed important family events, the birth of a grandchild, the wedding of a niece. You've missed that trip you wanted to take for so long. And yet, isn't it also true during this season, there are some things that we realize we don't miss that the pandemic has taken away. I don't miss all the time I was spending in the car. I don't miss traffic jams. I don't miss the pollution. I don't miss all the meetings I was going to. I don't miss the pace of life I had before the pandemic. Now, I know some of you would say my life is crazier now, and I understand that. But I, there are some things that I don't miss that, that have been taken away. My wife said she doesn't miss putting on makeup every day. You know what I don't miss? I don't miss political campaigning. <laughs> because of the pandemic, the campaigning has been lower than it normally would be in election year. And I've got to be honest, I don't miss it. You see, that's how life is. Some things are a problem because they're gone, but some things are a solution because they're gone. You see, when it comes to the new earth, one of the best things about it will be the things that won't be coming with it, that we're going to delight in what is missing from home. So in this series, we've been engaged in some measure of holy speculation as we try to imagine the new earth that is coming when Jesus returns. And that means we should all engage in some level of theological humility because none of us can totally fathom what an infinite God could create for our eternal 
home. And by the way, I've been getting a lot of questions about heaven, and I'm going to try to answer them to the best of my ability next week. But we all just need to understand that we're trafficking in an area where none of us has complete knowledge. It's interesting. Paul said he was given a vision of paradise, and he saw, he said, inexpressible things, things that I'm not permitted to tell. But then John is given a revelation, and he's specifically told to open up that revelation so others can see it. That's the tension that we live in. There are some things about our next home that we can't begin to imagine now. And yet God does want us to imagine at some level, because what you can't imagine, you cannot hope for. And so he gives John this vision of the new heaven and the new earth. And I notice as I read what John describes, that he doesn't just tell us what he sees, he tells us what he doesn't see. Now, let me show you Revelation chapter 21, starting at the beginning. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then later in the very same chapter, John says, I did not see a temple in the city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then finally, in the next chapter, John says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Did you notice the phrases, no more, no longer, no need? John isn't just telling us what he saw, he's telling us what he didn't see. That the new earth will not be contaminated by the fallout of the fall. And one of the things that helps us stay faithful now in this world is the assurance that in the next world, some of the things we hate will not stay. You've heard the phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, I'm suggesting that absence makes the hope grow stronger. That one of the things that builds up and nurtures our hope is the knowledge of some of the things that will be missing from home. There is a place where never is heard a discouraging word. And there are some phrases that we use all the time now that will be missing in heaven. One of them is, I fear 
the worst. You see, fear has been the companion of man ever since the fall. The very first emotion we felt after sin was fear. And and we've never lived a day without fear. Some legitimate and some not so legitimate. Uh, Some of you remember I told the story early in our marriage. My wife and I were robbed. Uh, I came home. It was the first Sunday of cowboy season. Jamie had gone to the first service. She put a roast on. I came home after the second service all excited. There were police cars in front of our house. I found out later in those days there was something called the Yellow Pages. And churches would have ads. And thieves would look up the ad, find the name of the pastor, the times of the service, go to the White Pages, find his address, and rob the home while they were at church. They took our TV. They took our phones. They took Jamie's jewelry. And i got to say, there's got to be a special place in hell for someone that would steal a pastor's TV on the first Sunday of cowboy season. But you know what they took most of all? Our sense of safety. In fact, for the next several months, Jamie would battle dreams where she would have a nightmare of someone entering our home. And we've lived with this kind of fear. And the thing about it is it pollutes and makes everything toxic. Fear drives our economy. Marketers sell things to us on the basis that we will not have to be afraid if we buy it. It drives our politics. I promise you both parties next fall will not push their own platform as much as they will push fear of what will happen if the other party gets elected. And let's be honest, it profoundly influences the way we see other people. So much of the injustice and the racism that exists in this world is driven by Fear. And because we fear the other, we treat them as less than. This is what fear does. It gives the enemy a door so that the demonic can get a foothold in our life. And all kinds of sin and corruption ensues. And this is why the single command more than any other in the Bible is don't be afraid. But here's the thing. In the new earth, God will not have to say that one single time. And that's the significance. John says, uh, I did not see a sea there. Uh, Now, we love the sea, but the Hebrews were afraid of the sea. In Revelation 13, the beast came out of the sea and served the dragon and tormented the world. So the sea in the Hebrew mind was a picture of evil. And so what John basically is saying, well, he does it in verse 27 of chapter 21, nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Now, think. Where can you say that about anything right now? Even Disney World, the happiest place on earth, they lock their gates at night. Where can you go in the world today and say, I am removed from the possibility of encountering evil? Well, the new earth, you'll never have to say again, I fear the worst. There will not be burglar alarms or security checkpoints or prisons. And there will be no need for cancer wards or memory care facilities or vaccines. Because you see, sin's going to be gone. In fact, the only reminder of sin on the new earth will be the scars on the hands and the feet of Jesus. Fear will be extinct. And we're not going to miss it. We'll never have to say that again. Or will we ever have to say, nothing lasts forever. You see, we do our best to try to ignore it, numb it, forget about it. 
But life has a way of constantly reminding us of our mortality. And this was true long before this pandemic. The evidence of death is all around us. And I don't just mean cemeteries. I mean birth defects and eyeglasses and hearing aids and prayer services for healing all remind us that death is inevitable. The uh, accomplished and renowned pianist Dr. Joseph Huffman was asked on his 80th birthday by a reporter, are you still composing? And he said, no, I'm decomposing. And that's just the truth, folks. I know this in my own life. You've heard me say in my 20s, I could play basketball all night long, just get up the next day and go. Then I hit my 30s, and I could play basketball all night long, but I woke up the next day and I was sore. Then I hit my 40s, and I woke up the next day and I was sore. And I didn't do anything last night. And you know where I'm at now? I'm now at the place where I can get hurt in bed. That's true. I can wake up in the morning and Jamie can say, what's the matter, Rick? I don't know. My neck hurts. I must have slept wrong. How pathetic. I could hurt myself trying to sleep, okay? And you know why? Because nothing lasts forever. And so if all good things must end, why do we think the new earth would be any different? And here's the answer. Oh, this is so big. Are you ready? Because in the new earth, God is going to put death to death you heard me right look at what john saw in revelation 20 the sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all who were judged according to their deeds watch this then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire nothing last is going to be buried forever And it's just hard for us right now to imagine such an existence. But I think we're going to get used to it in no time. Which brings up the next thing we're never going to have to say again. And that's there's never enough time. Now, I I don't want to ruin your old favorite song, but it's not true that time will be no more in heaven. Uh, Time is simply the measure or awareness of a sequence of events. In heaven, we will realize I'm doing this and now later I will do that. You couldn't have music if you didn't have time. And we know there's going to be awesome rocking music in heaven. Now, what's going to be missing in heaven is time pressure. Can you relate? Can anybody else relate to it just never feels like there's enough time if we were meeting live in one of our buildings i can tell you what i would be thinking after the last service i preach as i walk to my car i would be thinking i've got to get another sermon ready sunday's coming in seven days it's always there and i may have a funeral to work on i may have another teaching i've got some books i've got to read i've got visits i need to make and i've got all those emails to answer And I don't want to discourage anyone from sending me an email, but sometimes I get these emails and it took you 80 seconds to type it and it takes me eight pages to answer it. And I get 40 to 50 emails a day. One day, several years ago, I got 200 emails in one day. Here's my point. Every single day, and you feel the same way, I go home and think I cheated somebody. I cheated my job, I cheated my friends, I cheated my wife, I cheated my kids, I cheated my 80-inch father. I just don't have enough time. And we all live with this 
pressure. And on top of that, the thing about time is that everything I love ends. It terminates. No matter how sweet the experience, I know in the back of my mind, it's going to end. No matter how much I value a capacity I might have, I know I can't keep it forever. No matter how much I treasure the relationship, I know someday it will end. But in heaven, time is not going to be a diminishing resource. And we're never going to have to wonder, well, when's it going to end? Look again at chapter 22, verse 5. Never again will night appear. Now, you see, we do things at night, but in that day, night meant things stopped. Night meant there's no more time so what he's saying never again will night appear no one who lives there will ever need a lamp or the sun the lord god will be their light and they will rule forever what he's saying is all the things we love and cherish and that are precious to us about life will not have to stop john newton was right when we've been there ten thousand years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing god's praise than when we first begun. And you know what? It's going to be such a rush to live never needing to be in a rush again. And you know something else I am so looking forward to not ever saying again is, my bad. Because I live, and you live, most of our lives giving less than our best. See, one of the most frustrating things about fallenness is the awareness I rarely give God or others all I should. And there's some reason for this. One, just to be honest, it's my sin nature. A lot of times I do less of my best because that's all I want to do. I don't want to do better. And then sometimes it's because of my own sense of inadequacy. I don't feel like I can do better. I don't feel worthy to do better. And then sometimes it's just because of my mortal weakness. Sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes I don't feel worthy to. And sometimes I'm just not able to do better. As Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4, our physical body is becoming older and weaker. And I got news for all of us. If we live long enough, someday we're all going to have to say, I just ain't got it anymore. I want to show you one of the saddest pictures you will ever see this is Emmett Smith greatest running back in NFL history who won three Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys now I know I just lost a whole generation trust me there was a time when the Dallas Cowboys played in Super Bowls google it okay and but you see Emmett wasn't ready to retire he thought he still had it he spent his last two nondescript years of pro football playing for the Arizona Cardinals I mean, that's just heretical, okay? Because he couldn't hear, you ain't got it anymore. By the way, would you do me a favor? When I ain't got it anymore, will you let me know? Now, that's true. Every week somebody tells me to give it up. But I'm talking about the big majority of you. Let me know when I ain't got it anymore. Oh, but you see, there's going to day come. A day's coming. A home is coming. When we're resurrected and our new bodies will never grow weak and our new natures will never be morally flawed. I want you to imagine never passing your peak. I want you to imagine never having regrets, 
Never having to say, my bad, I should have done better. Our hearts will love purely, our minds will think nobly, our tongues will speak graciously, our hands will serve gladly. And you know what we will finally be able to do? Give God our complete, total dedication and not have to think, I could have done better. And by the way, that leads to the last thing we're never going to say in our new home. Where's God? Have you ever felt like God was socially distancing from you? Sure you have. I have too. Life has a way of putting us in situations where it just feels like God is not around. Maybe that's the greatest fallout of the fall is the sense that God isn't close. And, and it's more than sometimes just a sense. The fact is, we can't have the proximity to God we were made for in our sin-corrupted bodies on this curse-filled earth. Now, His indwelling Spirit is a huge help. But it's also a huge reminder that we were made for more. And that's what John was alluding to when he said, I didn't see a temple in the city because its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. You see, uh, the original temple was where you went to encounter to be near God. Where's God? Well, He's in the temple. And yet the temple had this elaborate system set up to restrict Access to the presence of God. If you're a Gentile, you can only get this close to God. Are you a woman? Only this close. A man? Only this close. A priest? Only this close. And only one person, once a year, could actually go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. But you see, God's purposes in Christ eliminate all the barriers so that the Father can have unhindered Fellowship with his children. And by the way, that's the significance. John said, now the city I saw, he gives us dimensions. It's a perfect cube. That may not mean anything to you. But again, to a Hebrew, the only other cube mentioned in the Bible is the Holy of Holies. What's he saying? The whole city, the new Jerusalem, it's all just one big temple. And God is with us all. God's dwelling place is now among His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And then finally, this is just so big, they will see His face. And we will never get enough of God because that is what we miss most of all. And when we finally see the face of God, there's one more thing that we won't think that we hardly ever say, but we won't even think anymore. It's all about me. <laughs> when we see the face of God, we will never have that thought again. And it's just almost impossible for us to imagine a world without pride. But pride's going to be missing from home. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. And honestly, pride will be the reason many don't get to enter heaven. 
The great lie of religion is that you can show up and say to God, look at everything I did and how well I lived, and I have earned access to your presence. No. My friend, when we stand before God, the only thing we should say is like the old hymn writer put it, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Every week I take time to say, and I'm going to do it again, I want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's not about you or what you do. It's about Him and what He did. Uh, there's a word surrender on the screen right now and a number below it. And I want you to type surrender to that number. We want to talk to you about Jesus. Every single week that we do this, people type that word. And we have the joy of sharing with them how you can place all of your confidence and your trust in the Lord Jesus and what He has done to make a way for you to have complete, assured, unhindered access to the Holy Lord God. Because our first conscious thought in heaven is going to be amazing grace which by the way was john's final thought isn't it interesting the last thought of john the last word in the scripture is this the grace of the lord jesus be with god's people amen that's what home is going to be full of <laughs> grace Grace uninhibited, grace undiminished, grace unending. Oh, my friend, don't miss it. And so, Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, would you please plant this teaching deep in the hearts of all so that we can grow in our confidence in our next home. And what will be there and what will not be there. And until then, help us to lean more fully, completely, and confidently on the grace of the Lord Jesus, which will never be missing to all who were humble enough to ask for it. And we do ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.